Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name's Karen Henson, and I'm here with my co-host, Nathan Wagner. Karen, you seem to have a glow about you today. You know... Is there a specific reason why there there's is. a big smile on your face and just a kind of an ease about you? You know, I have some exciting news. What is to it? To all of our audience, I want you to know that I got engaged. What? Yeah. Karen's off the market. Yeah, so stop emailing me. <laughs> <Get on this. laughs> That's awesome. So you got engaged. Congratulations. Thank you. Who's the lucky guy? I'm the lucky guy. <laughs> I am yeah. the lucky guy. He's actually in the studio with us today. Uh, that's yeah, awesome. I am. This is my fiance. Wait, where did you come from? <laughs> well, I've been here the whole time, Nathan. Oh, no, okay, sorry. But, sorry. Uh, yeah. What's your name? My name's Peter Milliken, mm -hmm. which will be your last name in seven weeks. Oh, Weird. Snap. Which is crazy. Seven weeks? Yeah. Bro. Karen and I have been dating for just over time. a year, and she's never mentioned me once on the podcast. <laughs> And I listen every week, waiting, <laughs> hoping. That's a lie. Uh, you, you know what? Just to be fair to myself, <laughs> I have tried to bring you up multiple oh, really? times and was told not to. So It's yeah, awkward. awkward. Are you embarrassed okay, yeah. about me? No, now we can talk about you because you're stuck with me. Uh, he mm -hmm. put a ring on it, so now you're part of the conversation. Yeah. Well, hey, congratulations, Peter. Yeah, thank you. It's going to be awesome. We're Seven weeks. We're excited. Yeah, get, so, get to stay here in Dallas. Yeah, <laughs> and milk. <laughs> all of uh, all of you guys out there who've been emailing Karen, you know, back up. She's she's off the market. I was one of those guys. <laughs> I do, I actually sent in a fake email once. Do you, do you remember this? I remember this. I don't know that I ever told Wait, you this. <laughs> who was it? <laughs> so this is a a long time ago when Karen and I had just first gone on a few dates, and then I went back to Australia for the summer. So yeah. this is over a year ago. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to play a prank on Karen and give us something to talk about when I come back. And I emailed in pretending to be a truck driver. Oh, that was you. Yeah, that was me. Yes. <laughs> I totally remember. And I was like, hey, I'm a truck driver in Texas. <laughs> and I was just wondering if Karen was single. Oh, and whether awesome. she'd be interesting in having a conversation. I love it. I drive through Dallas all the time or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Right, it was right, something right. like that. That's and awesome. my, I think my name was Steve Matthews because that was my builder back in Australia who built my house. <laughs> Steve. I was like coming up with, who can I be? <laughs> and oh, I great. sent that in. I think I remember, didn't you come by and be like, hey, what do I do with yeah, this? And I was, I was literally like, like uh, that's kind of creepy. Do I so, do? <laughs> and yeah. so I ignored it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I got a later. screenshot of it like a day later from one of Karen's friends being like, you need to come back ASAP. Look what's happening. <laughs> Not knowing, like, yeah, that was me. I love it. That's so awesome. Well, cool. Well, congratulations, guys. We are looking forward to you guys getting married. Today, though, we are going to finish our conversation with Dr. John Coe on moral formation. And so you guys enjoy this conversation. We are back this week with Dr. John Coe, who teaches out at Biola University. He's a part of the Institute for Spiritual Formation. That's part of uh, the Talbot School of Theology. And uh, like I said last week, I'm going to call him this again. He's kind of like a spiritual formation Yoda. So, uh, John, we're, we're really grateful to have you back, man. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's great to be here again. So you've written this essay, and uh, he's written a lot of other stuff too, but uh, we've been talking about this idea of moral formation. And just to kind of recap 
what we talked about last week. If you hadn't listened to that episode, you should probably go do that before you keep tracking with this. But we just talked about that there is this unique temptation in the spiritual life to cover and hide kind of the messiness of who we actually are on the inside and to cover and hide from others, from ourselves even, um, from God. And a lot of times, especially in the church, the way that that covering and hiding works itself out is through our spiritual activity, ministry activity, or to point at a kind of a track record of, hey, look how moral I am, or look how good I am, so to speak. And yet, a lot of times it's very interesting that as those layers get peeled back, we begin to realize how much of our effort that we expend for the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus is actually our attempt at hiding from God. And so why don't you just talk to that for a minute, John, and and then we'll start getting into kind of some nuts and bolts of, of how to deal with this. Yeah, you know, I again, I think this this is one of the deepest sin habits of the heart. Mm. And it comes right from the fall. We see it right with Adam and Eve, right? As soon as they sin, theologically we say that they spiritually died, meaning they in somehow lost the presence of the Holy Spirit bearing, you know, witness in their life. And so they're in this state of spiritual death. They're on their own. They know now something is wrong. And it says the eyes of them were opened. And so we say that's shame. This is the first experience that they know something is wrong with me, something's changed, something's bad within. And the first response to the human is not to immediately go and say, God, what happened? The first response was for them to cover. They take it within their own power to to cover themselves and, and not be seen. And then the next thing that happens right in the garden is God shows up in the garden. And rather than immediately running to him and say, God, what happened to us? They hide. And so here, this hiding and covering, these become the deepest sin habits of the heart. We cover our shame. And when God came on the scene, that's the first experience humans had of guilt. And the tendency of humans is to hide from guilt, right? To defend. So here, hiding and covering becomes the primary way that humans deal with this. Well, it's interesting is human morality becomes the fundamental way that human beings have tried to hide and cover from God. Mm. Because morality gives us a sense that we're okay. Yeah, right. That I'm not ashamed and I'm not guilty. And yet it's only when usually trials in life strip us of that superficial goodness do then we see the guilt and shame that need to be. So, So trials have a way of bringing us out of hiding. Exposing. Trials have a, uh, yeah. And, but here's the point of the paper was don't just wait for the trial. We can now do this in our own life intentionally. And that's kind of what I'm interested in is how do we intend, not wait for the trial to come out of hiding, but how do I just intentionally come out of hiding each day and put aside my covering? So in your essay, you talk about this conscious as, a moral tutor, yeah. or your conscience is something that is pushing you into more dysfunction, a further habituation of your moralism, which a lot of times ends up in just a lot of like Christian neurosis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it's, it's a lot of self-talk of yeah. reinforcing a lot of this dysfunction. But you talk mm-hmm. about how in that, 
you might know a biblical imperative, do this, don't do this. And as soon as you hear that, then you know that, well, I've either done that and I wasn't supposed to, or I was supposed to do this and I didn't do it, which can, uh, again, raise up that it exposes and it raises up that guilt and shame. And then this is where the really, really diabolical thing comes into play, where we whisper to ourselves, and I also think there's a significant amount of spiritual warfare that goes on here as well that's being reinforced is where we say, you know what? I should have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I am yeah. able to do that. Yeah, like, there you go. I can. And so I need to do better next time. And so I'm going to put these things into place so that I can practice them really hard so that my spiritual resume will continue to develop and beef up so that I maybe don't fall over here, or if I'm supposed to do something, I can actually like start doing it. But inevitably, regardless of how hard we work or how hard we try, that cycle of mm-hmm. conscious as moral tutor ends with our disillusionment, yeah. our understanding that we aren't able to do it. So as you talk to people and teach this, what are some of those things that you touch on to expose this for people? And how have you seen people react as you go through this cycle. Yeah. You know, cause we want to say up front that, cause some might hear that and say, well, wow, well, it, doesn't Christianity support being moral? Isn't there a morality? And yeah, we want to say that there's a true morality that ultimately that that's kind of the goal of all of this. And that true morality will be how to have these virtues in the spirit, right? How to live out these good, but now it's going to be life in the spirit. This, for Paul, this will be the righteousness by faith, not the righteousness by works. So here we have two different consciences. And, you know, I think of Galatians chapter three, where Paul, you know, he'll say that the, the law was a tutor to lead us not to works, but to Christ. Yeah, and so here you have the two consciences, but the law can be a tutor to lead you to your works or the law can be a tutor to lead us to Christ, and then that those works in Christ by faith and trusting him. So the law that leads us to our works, that's kind of the history of Western philosophy, where they thought of the conscience as a moral tutor. And so this conscience is kind of like little Jiminy Cricket in your head who's trying to <laughs> encourage you to do the right thing you know, yeah. at the right time, not yeah. the wrong thing at the wrong time. And there's nothing more common sense than this. So that here would be the the conscience as a moral tutor, which is, it's an unhealthy conscience. It's not a conscience that has been trained by faith. So here's what that conscience is. You hear the truth, you know, the truth of the word of God, and the heart is convicted. It feels guilt and shame. Yes, I'm not loving my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm not praying as I should. I'm worrying, whatever it is, that's all fine. But now, like you said, Here's where the wrong theological self-talk comes in. This mm. is where what I would call the moralistic or neurotic self-talk, where this person in the pew might be saying, gosh, I should be keeping that law. I can do this. Mm. Wow, I can do this. And if I just worked harder. Yeah. And so now they tell the Lord, God, I'm going to work harder at my marriage. And now they either do it or they don't. But notice, this is just the way a non-Christian would think. His marriage isn't going that well. Now he's convicted. He feels like, God, I really need to work on it. Okay, I'm going to work on it harder. And so this is what Paul would call the flesh. Hmm. 
we're no longer in the flesh, but we still have this flesh residue. This flesh residue is that tendency we have to live apart from the Lord, this tendency we have to try to do life ourselves. But now, what would be a healthy conscience? Well, a healthy conscience would be a retraining of a conscience, not as a moral tutor, but a tutor to lead us to Christ. Right. So it'd be something like this. I hear the law of God. I hear the commands of God. Love my wife as Christ loved the church. Pray without ceasing. Whatever it is, put off anger. And I'm convicted. Wow, I'm an angry person. Wow, I just explode all the time. Whatever it is, guilt and shame. That's fine. Everything's fine. But now, this is where the church as pastors, we need to re- help retrain our people's conscience. Mm, good. And the retraining is something like this. Lord, I, in my own power, cannot obey your commands as I ought to. Yeah. I can't do I wasn't made to do this in my flesh. Mm. Lord, I don't want to just have a better marriage in my flesh. I don't want to just work harder at praying. Lord, I can't do this without you. I want to do this with you. And Lord... I don't want to do this as a way to feel better about my Christian life. I don't want to do this as a way to cover my shame. I don't want to do this as a way to atone for my guilt. No, no, no. God, I can't do this without you. I don't want to do it without you. And now I'm coming out of hiding. That's good, yeah. See, I've done some theological truth talking to myself. I've retraining this conscience. And now, now I'm going to come out of hiding. God... Let me tell you the truth. Let's do some Psalms now. Let me tell you the truth about my prayer life. God, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't even know if you hear me. Lord, where are you? See, I'm talking truth, or now I'm going to talk truth about my marriage. Well, now I'm being taken to a place of, oh, God, I need you. See, and now the cross is meaningful. You see, for the moralist, the cross becomes less and less meaningful in the Christian life Mm. because I'm doing all the work. Yeah. But if one continues to come out of hiding, the cross gets, it's just bigger and That's bigger. It's huge. like, oh, Jesus, this, yes, I need your forgiveness. God, look at me. God, I come again. Forgive me, O oh Lord. Look at what I am. Look at how little love I have for you. Look at how little desire I have to pray. Look at how little love I have for my spouse. Look what an angry, oh, God, I need you. Now I'm open to the cross. And now on this basis, see, a trial will do this too. Hmm. But let's, let's do it intentionally before the trial let's let's <laughs> yeah. strip up open the soul yeah. and, and now i'm here and now it would be okay lord god give me wisdom what would it be to open to your spirit to begin to love my wife in certain ways here god i need wisdom and see the first move is to the cross the second move is now what would this obedience in the spirit look like and that's the retraining and that's where we're going to need some wisdom. We're going to need some, you know, the three or four things that often pastor tells us in the sermon, those are going to be good. But first things first, because if the second things first, now we're just in the flesh right. trying to do the good things as a way to hide and cover. Mm. And now we're doing the Christian life in our own power. We're, yeah. we're on our own again. Like Galatians 3 says, I mean, um, who tricked you? Who told you this, you know, that you who began by the Spirit are now trying to be completed in the flesh? Yeah. I think that's a really, really huge danger. I mean, I think it's so, so dangerous that in some way I think it's systemic, at least in a lot of different Christian subgroups around, around the world. It goes something like this, God, the cross means that my sins are forgiven and I don't have to go to hell. 
Right. And so the rest of my life is just, okay, now I have to work really hard to somehow appease you or earn it or prove that I'm worthy in some way. And that's just not Christian. (laughs) There's nothing Christian about it, you know? It's so commonsensical. Yeah. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and now I'm supposed to be a good boy. Yeah. But now it's like Paul wants to be, you know, he's very strong to these Judaizers who are going around mm, yeah. saying, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but now you've got to grow yourself. And he says, no, no, we were saved by faith and we grow by faith. Yeah. We grow yeah. by trusting yeah. in him. The same need that you had at conversion is also the need that you yeah. continue to have Yeah, exactly. as you're sanctified in the, by the Spirit. Well, it makes me wonder... <laughs> even as I'm sitting here becoming more aware of my own tendency to do this. It makes me wonder. There, <laughs> I know, I'm like, I think I'm sweaty yeah. and my heart is racing and my brain is foggy now. Awesome. <laughs> We've talked about a lot. Um, but it makes me wonder how many people have no idea that this is happening and think that they're actually operating in the spirit. Because we say things like that all the time in the Christian life because it's biblical language. Oh, live by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. And people are thinking, oh, I felt convicted. I should do better. So I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do these spiritual disciplines. I'll read my Bible more. I'll treat you better. And that is what it means to live in the Spirit. So how many people are just unaware? You know, here's the thing. God is so patient. And, And this is all developmental. Yeah, that's good. This is all developmental. I mean, when I first came to the Lord, it was like, uh, you know, I know as a little baby, I'm just grabbing my Bible. I'm praying hard. I'm working at my marriage. I'm, you know, and the Lord's just saying, oh, this is great, John. This is wonderful. And you're developing some muscles here and you're developing some new habits. But of course, depending on the spirit, that's a whole other kind of thing. Yeah. And depending on the spirit, usually it takes us into our weakness. You know, this is Second Corinthians 12, when Paul is discovering in weakness that he's dependent and in weakness, he's strong. So over time, developmentally, we're more and more taken into weakness. And so trials will do all of this work. They'll slowly take us to places where we'll just say, God, I can't do this anymore. And all of a sudden we find a new openness. And so with spiritual formation, the, the desire is, well, let's not wait for the trial. Let's take this on now. Let's take on the soul and the heart now. God, let me open the heart to you willingly rather than waiting for the trial to open the heart because the trial will do that, right? The trial will, when the marriage finally ends, goes to divorce, then my heart's going to open and it'll be, oh crap, I can't do this on my own. Well, why don't we try to go there earlier <laughs> and just realize, oh shoot, I'm not at a divorce, but this marriage is, it's got, it has great needs. God, I need you. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about Two things I'm thinking of as you're talking. One is this whole idea of training. I mean, I think probably most of the time people, when they think of training, they'll think of going through some sort of like program or uh, Mm -hmm. now I've, I've been trained in how to read the Bible or how to pray or again. And like you said, in the earlier stages, I think of a spiritual development. I mean, uh, I think the Lord is over there going, go, go, yeah. Johnny, go. Yeah, you know? yeah go, um, Johnny, go. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a deeper training of that, yeah. the malformation of our deep-seated dysfunction to rely yeah. on ourselves, to look to ourselves as the solution. You use the word train your conscience or train. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like? But then, two, you've also talked about the idea of 
trials. And yeah, right. I think immediately go to John of the Cross, who, you know, has written a bunch of things, but in the dark night of the soul, where he talks about how the Lord would lead him into this season of disorientation. Right. And so why don't you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, wow. Yeah, so a whole bunch of things there. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, again, we have to think of this developmentally because I think the Lord allows us, when we think of retraining, there is this moralistic training. We're just doing the best we can. We're, we're trying to depend on the Spirit, but we're probably not knowing how to do it, we're, so we're doing it in our own power. But the Lord is going to use that. And so that's kind of an initial constructive part of the Christian life. But then there's the deconstruction. And the deconstruction is going to be another retraining. And the deconstruction is going to be the honesty. It's going to be showing us what's really going on in the soul. It's going to now take us into new places. So trials, they take us to new places, but we can purposefully retrain the soul to go to those places. Mm. You know, every day, all your listeners, they can just say right in the morning, first thing after they, you know, wake up in the morning, they can just see where their mind's taking them. Well, first thing is just say, Lord, where is my mind going? Okay, yeah, it wants to go there. Ah, but first <laughs> things first, I'm going to train myself. I'm presenting myself to you, Lord. Mm. So here I am. I'm presenting myself, God, before I do anything, before I go to the bathroom, you know, whatever, I'm yours. Mm. And then one can, can then just say, you know, Lord, I just want to start the morning by just honestly sharing what's going on in my soul. And I want you to search my heart and I want you to open up my soul. So every day a person can begin, Lord, let me tell you honestly what's going on. This is what I really feel about my marriage. This is what I really feel about my kids. This is what I really feel about my relation to you. And that's going to begin to slowly retrain the soul to trust, oh my gosh, I can tell God this. I actually can go there. Yeah. So, so there's this deconstructive retraining. And then there's another kind of retraining, and that's the beginning to retrain the mind theologically to think about when I'm convicted by something, how should I think about this? Mm. Because my standard training was as soon as I can get convicted, hide and cover by doing good. Yeah, try harder. Yeah, I'm just going to try harder. Or for some people, it's I, I just going to repress the whole thing. Yeah. But the moralist is the one who, um, no, I'm going to work hard. So I'm going to have to start retraining this mind. No, Lord. I mean, I have to do this myself. No, John, stop. <laughs> stop. stop it. <laughs> What's be honest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell God, come out of hiding. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to just sit and work this out in your own little power? Tell him. See what happens when you just tell him. And the last kind of retraining, now this is a, a major thing, and that retraining is what would it be to start a new tradition in my life? Like what would it be now if I really want to take on anger? What am I really going to do now? So what would it be with you, Spirit, to begin to do this? And that's, that's a major discussion there for all kinds of sins and all kinds of things that we want to grow in. I, just, I remember Dallas Willard saying very clearly about retraining. He said, you know, John, it's amazing. If somebody came up to a pilot and, and said, you know, I want to try to fly your plane. The pilot's going to say, no, you're, you're not going to try to fly my plane. You, <laughs> you, really you go, tra <laughs> you got to go train. Yeah. Right. And then you can fly my plane. No, no, I just want to try. 
And he said, but this is what we do Sunday after Sunday. I'm going to try to put off anger. I'm going to try to not worry. I'm going to try to pray more. And so Willard says the haphazardness is, wow, if, if I need training to work on a computer, I need training to fly a plane. What kind of retraining do I need if I'm going to put off anger, if I'm an angry person or if I'm a worrier? That means I've already trained myself in thousands of situations to worry. What do I have to do consciously to retrain this whole system about not worrying? So anyways, this is to me where pastors really, really need to be thinking and retraining themselves so they can do this. And, and I look at back at my seminary training, and it wasn't about that. It was about the fun theological conundrums and problems and interpretive issues. And I loved them back then. Yeah. You know, my wife told me very clearly after I graduated that I wasn't ready to be a pastor. (laughs) 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 It's really interesting to hear you talk about growth in terms of this construction and deconstruction, because so often we see spiritual growth as a chart that's up and to the right. And so we're just assuming, oh, I'm a little bit further along, so I'm doing a little bit better. I'm a little further along, and so I'm doing a little bit better. And so to to hear and to have experienced, hey, growth is actually up and down. It's building up and tearing down. It makes me think of C.S. Lewis uh, and a group observed where he's talking about his faith being a house of cards, and God has to knock it down to show him the quality. And so that's helpful. And just a good thing to remember as we are taking steps in our own growth process that it's not up into the right. Totally. Yes. And this is going to be the, the, the real difficult thing is because what, once you really want to do this retraining, it's going to get a little messy. And that's when you really need to help people find the acceptance, the love and forgiveness of God. Yeah. Because now if they're going to go inside Now, there's going to be a lot of guilt feelings, a lot of shame, and a lot of blame, all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And here, we're going to have to have soul shepherds who have gone there in their own life who can help take others to find love. Because ultimately, it's going to be the love of God and the forgiveness of God that will be the motivating power in this. So, this is is just really crucial. Well, and Brueggemann uses the... Yeah, the orientation, disorientation, reorientation model that I think is really, at least for me, I've seen for sure in my life where it's yeah. kind of like, a, okay, Nathan, you're oriented toward this. You see it, but you don't see it completely. Uh-huh. And there are parts of it that you see that are incorrect or yeah. wounded in some way. And so when right. the time is right and you're ready for this, yeah, there I'm going to bring in disorientation to, like you said, Karen, to break it down. And I'm going to keep what's real, and then I'm going to reorient you to it so that you see it, but now you see it more fully. Yeah. And then you're oriented to this new thing. And then when you're ready, I'm going to bring in disorientation. And it's so it's a, it's almost like a, I know this sounds like a weird metaphor, but it's almost like peeling layers back that results in a larger object. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. This this idea of peeling objects. There's something within us, the old habits of the heart, the vice habits, sin habits of the heart, and they're slowly being peeled away. Even some of the the good moralistic habits, mm. because as you go on in the faith, I think that's one thing the Spirit wants to do is begin to show us even some of the places where we have some good moral habits. That those were things that we kind of did in our own power. 
And I think he's even trying to help us to see, you know, I don't want that anymore. Yeah, I don't want just good moral habits. Mm. I want you, God. Yeah. I want to know the love of God. I want to know your power in the spirit. So again, I think like you say, this is just undulating yeah. all the time yeah. through yeah. our life. It makes me think of a question at Watermark. One of our core values of our community is to admonish faithfully. Mm. Oh, wow. That's one of our core values is, hey, point people consistently back to God's word, point them back to truth. And so Mm. it makes me think that there's this really deep tension as people are confessing sin and confronting their own guilt and their shame of, hey, there are moments where you just love them where they are, where you point them back to the cross and remind them that they can't do it. Talk to us a little bit about that tension of this love and acceptance versus, hey, Jesus, call us to more. What do we do with that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is where it can get really uh, sensitive and touchy (laughs) in a community because the only way to combat that is empathy. The only way to combat it is for the person to see, to have gone on the journey in their own life, to experience brokenness, and to have experienced being loved in their failure, being loved in their bad. So that now when they hear someone else's badness, now they go, oh, God, I know that exactly. But I know what it is to be loved there. I know what it is to God's forgiveness. And now to have that same attitude towards that person about, Kai, I know that exactly. So that the empathy can now, that person will actually hear in them, oh, God, I know that. And now whatever admonishing they'll do, it'll be from that ground. But if that experience isn't there, it's not going to work. The person will feel judged. Yeah. A lot, and a lot of times what happens is, is for people who haven't experienced that, the answer is moralism. The yeah. answer is a biblical imperative right. without understanding the indicative of the love of God. Yeah. If you don't understand the first part of God loves you and delights in you and is not dangerous in the sense of experiencing his wrath or judgment, because there is no condemnation in Christ. Like, if that is not established and well-established, then all of the biblical imperatives end up, people try to do them out of these false motivators. And it actually, this and this is the crazy part, is a lot of our effort in the Christian life can actually end up further habituating this dysfunction that we're talking about. Right. And yeah. it's that. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> no, and I think people will hear it immediately. Yep. They'll hear and see someone who knows what it is to experience the badness and to mm-hmm. be loved there and then to admire versus the other person where they, they don't know how to go there and now they're just encouraging them to be good. And sometimes what we've noticed in groups like at seminary is students, as they hear other students share their bad, some students who haven't dealt with that stuff in their life and they haven't gone to those places, it creates anxiety in them and they want to rescue the person because they don't want to see that kind of mirror. Mm -hmm. But again, if they've been there, they know, they know there's no quick answer. They know that only the love of God is really the power in the Christian life. And so they'll be able to kind of sit with them and hold them. And the person will just know that where the person will know if it's not from that and they'll probably feel judged and yeah. probably shamed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they may be less inclined to share the next time, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, it's just the way it goes. That's so you know? helpful. 
And I can say experientially, like even in my own community group, it makes me think of one of my friends who's been through a ton and she is the most empathetic person. Always the one I confess to first. Yeah. Yeah. You're safe. You know that life is hard. Yeah. 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 It's a safe place there. Yeah. 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 So I I think, John, this is so helpful, man. I mean, if for no other reason than that, just that when we start to get in that kind of Christian neurotic cycle of dadgummit, God wants me to do this and I failed at it, so I need to try harder. And then that that really subtle lie of I can do this. Yeah, um, right. That's such a lie. Yeah. Um, but we really believe yeah. it. And, and even if we say we don't believe it, we function like it, which means we actually do. Which leads yeah. us deeper into our own effort. Our white knuckling is one of the phrases we use around here a lot to just try harder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that juxtaposed against the Christian conscious as tutor to lead us to Christ. That when we feel that pang of, oh, you know, I don't measure up, then to get into the habit of training our minds to go, you know what? I can't do that. And the sooner I come to grips with the fact that I can't keep God's law, then then you can start to be really honest and say, in a lot of ways, I don't even want to. Yeah, totally. Then you're having a a conversation with God that can be really transformative. And my prayer for all of us, myself included, God help me, is that our knee-jerk reaction to that sense of inadequacy and guilt and shame is to respond by flying to the cross. That that oh. becomes our automatic. Right. Like again, that doesn't happen overnight. There are stages of development in this. But John, you have helped us see and uncover really how how critical this is. And so, before we close, I'll just give you any kind of final thought that you'd want to say to our audience. I actually I think of you know we had Dallas Willard come and speak on John fifteen five where he talks about. Um, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You know, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the whole idea of, wow. And I remember Dallas said something like, and it's probably going to take you all your life to believe that apart from him, you can do nothing. And so he actually said, the Christian life is what you do when you finally realize you can do nothing. And it's like, (laughs) wow, you know, what has to happen in your life to bring you to the place where you really believe you can't do this. So anyways, the Lord be gracious and help us. (laughs) We need it. Amen. Well, John, thank you for your time and your expertise in this and, and cooperating with the Holy spirit who's guided you into these waters and, and uh, helping us navigate them. So man, bless you and your ministry. May the Lord continue to to uh, use you as you remain in his love. Yeah, thank you. Bless you, Karen and Nathan, too. Thanks, man. Glad to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you like what you heard, then you should definitely subscribe. You should tell all your friends about it. You should leave us a rating. You should do all kinds of epic awesomeness. Wow, that was, em- <laughs> that was embarrassing, Nathan. <laughs> Let's <laughs> stay. And you can always shoot us an email at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Just don't send an email to Karen because she's taken. Other than that, peace. <laughs>